Well, we've made it to another day, another scripture. Are you ready? I hope so, because I'm not so sure I'm ready. But either way, we begin now. Have you ever needed something to go right, but you were extremely nervous that it wasn't going to go right, so you were hesitant to even try? You're like, okay, I need this to go right, but you're like, nope, nope, it's not, it's not going to go right. Just don't do it. Just, 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 just skip it. Avoid it. it. It's not going to go right. I need this to go right, but I'm not so sure that it will. Welcome, everyone. It is Sunday, June the 19th, 2022. It is currently 2.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where today has not gone right for me. If you've been paying any attention today, you know, well, wait a minute, there was no live broadcast from Victory Baptist Church today. No, because our sound system has, well, given up the ghost, it has died, and we're going to have to figure out how to replace that. As far as we can tell, the laptop is still working, so that's good news. So that all went completely wrong. So here I am, and I need to kind of redo some of the teaching I did at church today, and everything is just, everything is out of sorts, everything is confused, everything is messed up. I'm frustrated, irritated, but, but, but... I need to move forward and we need to accomplish those things we need to accomplish, right? Because, well, time doesn't stop. Things move on. And since we're doing 30 scriptures in 30 days, right? 30 days, 30 scriptures, 30 scriptures, 30 days, however you want to word it. Well, I I can't take a break. I can't say, well, you know what? Today's just going bad. So I'm just going to I'm just going to stop and say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll just take a break and, and pick it up tomorrow. I mean, technically I could, and I doubt anyone would go, look, wait a minute, you skipped a day. I, I mean, but I, I said 30 days, 30 scriptures, that's what we're going to do. So that's what we're going to attempt to accomplish. And you already know the way I'm doing this is already nerve wracking enough. Yes, because I don't know what, what to expect. I don't know. So we're just, we're opening up the book 30 Life Principles as taught by Charles Stanley. He also has the Life Principles Bible. And I'm just opening it up, looking at the scripture he provides for that specific principle. We look at the principle, then we set aside his principle. We look at the scripture and see what principles we can come up with. Now, so far, if you've been with us so far, if you've been if you've been following the study, let me open my uh, notebook here, uh, my journal here. We have now given how many here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We've come up with 14 principles so far. Now, I know what that would, I know what you're thinking. Well, if you've come up with 14 principles, then you must be on day 15 because, no, it, it, it hasn't worked that way. If I open up my Kindle right now, we are on day seven, principle number seven. So we've arrived at seven, but we have already come up with 14 
principles. Hopefully you go back and listen to all of the previous episodes. I think so far I can at least be somewhat satisfied with what we've done. Uh, Maybe somewhat, okay? It's not been perfect, but this wasn't designed to be perfect. It was designed to be very just real and real time, looking at something with no preparation and just trying to go, what am I going to do with this scripture to make it a little bit fun? It started off as like, hey, this is a fun idea. And then when everything else is going wrong, well, then you're like, oh, this is nerve wracking because I need this to go right. But it it could go wrong because we I've already been trying to give you and build up that one of these or a lot of these are going to turn into epic failures. I've already tried to tell you that, right? That's why we're doing the overtop epic intro to kind of make like it's a, it's a little like it's, a, it's almost like a little wink like hey 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 I get it I get it All right, you're in on the joke with me we're gonna make this like oh this is some epic thing but we all know the way this is being done is it's almost designed to be epically bad but so far it's gone pretty good so what do you think what do you think our chances are today what do you think based on everything else that's happened today I think my chances are not very good. If I if I was gambling, I would take my money right now and go home, but I, I can't. Here we are. We're in day seven. We're going to move forward. So I hope you're ready. Are you ready? I hope so. Okay, here, opening up the 30 Life Principles by Charles Stanley. Here is the principle he gives us. This is life principle number seven for us, day seven, and we're getting ready to look at the, the, the seventh passage of Scripture as given to us by Charles Stanley. Here we go. Here is the principle. The dark moments of life will last only so long as it is necessary for God to accomplish his purpose in us. Now, I don't know how you feel about that principle, And remember, the goal here is not to take the principles apart. We've already done a little bit of that work previously in a series that didn't really go so well. We we did a little bit of work on this. Uh, This is one that maybe maybe we'll we'll come back and and, and do it in a separate episode where uh, in a different series. Who knows? But we may come back to this and work on everything he has to say about this principle because it raises lots of questions. And just remember, sometimes as Christians, what what we think is so comforting or so helpful. In many cases, it's really not that comforting or not that helpful if you really think about it. I'm going to throw this out there. And I know, listen, I know this is going to make some people mad and I know it's going to upset some people. And I'm not trying to do that. The last thing I want to do is generate controversy today, but I just want to give you an example. Okay. I just want to give you an example. So (laughs) sometimes when something horrible or tragic happens, something horrible or tragic, let's say someone just calls you and says, and and, and not all Christians view this the same way, right? So I, I may be, it may be my skepticism. It may be that I'm cynical. It just may be that I have a dark way of looking at things, but I just, so you may not be able to relate to this. So for those of you who can't relate to this, I wish I could see the world the way you do. I don't see the world as a Disney movie, oh wait, I can't say that. As a Hallmark movie, I, I, I tend to see it in a much more jaded way, all right? For whatever reason, I do so. So let me give you an example. It's one o'clock in the morning, right? Someone calls you and they're like, hey, my kid was just hit by a drunk driver. I, I don't know what to do. I'm in a panic. I, they, they don't know if my child is going to survive. And a lot of Christians are like, okay, I will pray for you. Now, that sounds good, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong. But see, to me, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to pray to the God who let my child get hit by the drunk driver? You're going to pray to the God who did not intervene, who did not prevent, who did not stop? You're going to pray the, to the very God who let this happen, to the very God who knew before the foundations of the world that it was going to happen? Say, I have a hard time, like, like okay, yeah, let's pray. Well, wait a minute. I'm praying to the one who could have stopped it. I'm praying the one who could have prevented it. I'm praying the one who knew it was going to happen. And then how do I understand God's sovereignty, his providence? I start having some of those issues. I know for some people, they don't. That never crosses their mind. And to hear a a Christian say that, or to hear a pastor say that, they're like, where's your faith? And and that's the attitude of an unbeliever. And I can't believe you would think that. It's just me when I see 
tragedy or pain or suffering. I, 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 I wrestle with these deep theological, philosophical questions about, well, wait a minute, you know, you know, or, or when, when a Christian, you know, they were almost in a traffic accident or they were in a traffic accident, but everyone was okay. They're okay. They're, and they'll say, praise God. God protected us. God, God, you know, preserved our lives. And I'm like, okay, so praise God for you. But you know how many people die today in traffic accidents? So do, does God get praise in the other situation, other situation? Like, how do we, it's just really weird how we we say some things without ever thinking it through. Well, when I read this principle, there's a little bit of there that goes, wait a minute. So the dark moments of our life. So let's think of the darkest moment of your life. Something horrible, something just absolutely tragic. It's only going to last as long as it is necessary for God to accomplish his purpose in us. So, hey, this horrible tragedy occurred. Okay, okay. It's going to last until God has accomplished his purpose. So you're going to suffer. The tragedy is going to continue. The pain, the suffering, the loss, the questions, the confusion, the darkness, it's going to last until God has accomplished his purpose. So you just sit there and deal with it because God has a purpose to accomplish. And of course, I would raise my hand and go, God couldn't accomplish his purpose any other way. There's just no, like the the sovereign, eternal, all-knowing God could not come up with a different way to accomplish his purpose other than this great tragedy and this great time of darkness. That, that That's, and, and I, again, I'm going to ask that question. I know it makes people uncomfortable because what, what when Christians hear this, I can, I can already, I can already hear in my mind, this is happening. People are already tapping on their screen. They're already emailing me. And it's like, calm down. You, you don't have, Christians get very defensive. And as soon as you raise some of these questions, they immediately like, I've got to, I've got to, I got to provide an answer. I got to provide an answer. They've never, they've never even taken a class at apologetics, but they're ready. They've got to come to the defense. I don't know if you realize this. God doesn't need you to defend him. He is the sovereign. He is the eternal God. So sometimes we feel like when, when someone raises these questions, maybe in times of great grief or in times of, of great suffering, we always feel like, you know, again, Job's friends did the best when they just kept their mouths shut. Sometimes we do the worst when we open our mouths. I'll never forget as a teenager standing there at the, in the Buffalo Gap Cemetery while my, after my mother was being, as my mother was being buried, you know, as the, the, graveside service was was wrapping up all of these and again many of them were i would say well-meaning christians just walked up and said of the most some of the most ridiculous foolish things that were it, it was just maddening i just wanted to scream would you just stop talking just get away from me just stop talking your words are of no comfort you know, your word, hey, all things work together for good. Oh, they all things work together for good. So you say my mom's going to get out of that casket in the next few minutes because that's the only good that I want right now is for my mother not to be dead. So would you get out of my face? I, I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I, I've got to bring up some of these issues because when I look at a life principle that, hey, the dark moments of your life, they're only going to last as long as it's necessary for God to accomplish his purpose. Hey, hey, I know your child's dying of cancer, but just know, just know, this is only going to last as long as it takes for God to accomplish his purpose in you. So that means my child is not going to die of cancer. Well, I'm not saying that, but once he's dead, well, then, you know, God accomplished his purpose. Wait, wait, what? We, man, Christians sometimes just got to, we just have to stop the things we say. Um, and, and I understand that we have to deal with some dark moments in life. Maybe we need a different principle. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know how we, and so, listen, sometimes a principle may be true, but I think there's an appropriate time to share said principle. And there's appropriate time just to be quiet and let the grief, let the lament. Sometimes there's a time, sometime it's time for the person to be able to scream out their spiritual pain and lament and grief in words that express frustration and confusion and doubt. 
be able to scream out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, what are you doing? I think there's times to just let someone scream out the lament and just keep your theological principles to yourself. Just be quiet. I think sometimes we we have to deal with these theological principles maybe when we're not in our darkest times, and then hopefully they someone will carry those principles over into their dark times. But just remember, many of those principles sound good until some just basic theological, logical, philosophical questions are asked to it, and sometimes they begin to fall apart. I know I'm taking a lot of time with this, but this one is talking about the dark moments of your life. So according to what Charles Stanley does, the, he, he, the principle is dark moments of your life is only going to last as long as it's necessary for God to accomplish his purpose. Now, the question is, what scripture is he going to give us to support that concept? What scripture is he going to give us to say, this is where I got it? Now, remember, I believe over and over this book has demonstrated one thing. I think Charles Stanley has a principle, and then he goes looking for scriptures to try to support it. I, and I don't feel that the scriptures arose from the study of scripture, but the principles are being imposed on the scripture. And I think that's one of the big lessons from this book. And again, even times there's books I so strongly disagree with, but they still can be greatly beneficial and me struggling with them, trying to figure them out. And that's what I'm trying to do with these. But are you ready for the path for the scripture? Now, so far, well, it started off with just giving us one scripture. Now each principle is starting to become longer with the number of scriptures included. This one is six scripture, scripture or six verses long, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag, on the third day that the Amalekites, if I can speak correctly, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag had smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. So let's just go walk through this slowly, all right? We have David, all right? Everybody, you know, talk, we, we, David is one of the heroes of the faith. We talk about him, a man after God's own heart, the man who repented of his sin in such glorious manner in Psalm 51, the author of so many Psalms, David, the one who killed the giant with a, a slingshot because of his great faith, David. We, 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 we talk about David. The, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we, you know, we, we talk about many of the Psalms and we connect them with David. And, and yes, David, 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 we, we, we talk about David. Yes, we know about his sin, but David is still seen as a hero of the faith. So it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. So we have a time of invasion, a time of destruction, things being burned with fire. Sounds like dark times. Sounds like things that are not good. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Destroyed city, and the people are taken captive. The women are taken captive. This would be sisters, daughters, wives are taken captive. This is a dark situation. Burn city, and now people have been taken captive. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Burned city, family members have been taken captive, daughters and sons and wives. Daughters, sons, and wives taken captive. This is a dark time. This is a dark time. And immediately, you should, I don't know about you, but as a good, as a good Bible student, I think it's acceptable at this time to ask some questions. I, when I read this, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. The God who parted the Red Sea, the God who did all of these miraculous events. I mean, we're in 1 Samuel. The God who has done miraculous things from basically Genesis all the way up to 1 Samuel, all these miraculous things. That, that God, that same God who did all of these miraculous things have shown up in miraculous ways. That God, powerful, sovereign God, 
He doesn't show up here. He doesn't stop this. He doesn't prevent this. City is burned. Daughters and sons and wives are taken captive. That, that, that's, that's something that we have to just deal with, all right? Then, then they go on, all right? So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They literally cry until they can no longer cry. It's not just a little bit of crying. It's crying until they are powerless to cry anymore. They cry. They weep until there's no more weeping left. They they cannot weep anymore. I don't know if you've ever wept that much. I don't know if you've ever cried that much. But if you've ever been in a horrible situation where tragedy, death, pain, suffering, whatever, you just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry until it's gone. That's just nothing left. You, you just, you're, you're just physically, emotionally, and mentally drained. That is a, that's a powerful image there. Now, this is David weeping. David now, some Christians were like, where is your faith? Where, where, why are you acting like this? Yeah. Some would, would, would call this into question. Look what happens. Verse 5, and David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoham, Ahinoham, if I can read it right, Ahinoam, all right, I keep wanting to add an H there, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. So David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoham, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Wow. People want to kill David. They got, they want to blame someone. Our sons and daughters and wives have been taken. We want to kill you. We want to kill you. What do we do with these six verses? What do we do? Now, remember, the goal here for these 30 days and 30 scriptures is just to take the the passage they give, not necessarily to expand it and try to look at greater context, but what do we do with this? Now, according to Stanley, the, the, the principle he came up with is the dark moments of our life will last only so long as is necessary for God to accomplish his purpose in us. I, I, again, I, I would, I, I don't know what this scripture necessarily gives me that principle. What, what principles do you take from it? Like, I almost, this is where, again, I wish I was doing this in front of everyone because I would have everyone in my church. I would say, what principles come up with it? Now, what would probably happen is a lot of people would come up with principles that I would be just as perplexed and confused about as I am with Charles Stanley. I'd be like, well, how did you get that principle from that? And then their minds, they would probably like, well, it, it makes perfect sense. I'd be like, it doesn't make any sense. But in my mind, uh, I, I guess, I, I think that's, that's probably what would happen is everyone would come up with principles. I'm trying to make sure that our principles really have some connection to the passage of Scripture. So what do we do? I'm going to grab my notebook here. Remember, I'm doing this in real time. I'm doing this in real time. No, no, no prep here. No, because I want this just to be like really struggling with the text right? It's easy. For, I could sit down, spend a couple of hours, have it all ready to go. But it, it, to me, that wouldn't be, I want you to struggle with me. I want, I want this to be like, we're, we're confronted with this. What do we do with this? Now, you may love Charles Stanley's principle here. You may love it. I'm not saying I hate it. It raises some questions in my mind, right? So what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? What, what do you think? What do you see? Well, I'm going to put this. I'm going to put this. I'm going to go. Uh, this will be number 15 if, we're, if you're keeping track from part one to here. 
or this would just be number one for this particular episode. I'm going to put number 15. I'm going to say this. We, I keep putting we because I want us all, if I, if I wasn't doing this on a, on a podcast episode, I'd probably put I, right? But I, I'm putting we because I'm trying to have you in, included in this, all right? But we must never think our relationship and faith in God. We must never think our relationship and faith in God protects us. How can I say this? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to remove that word. Okay. We must never think our our relationship and faith in God keeps us from great tragedy and suffering. All right? We, I think this is just... Sometimes these are principles I think was should be a part of Discipleship 101. We must never think that our relationship and faith in God keeps us from great tragedy and suffering. I'm going to re- uh, rewrite down the word keeps. Um, keeps us. Keeps. I can't read my own writing. Keeps us from great tragedy and suffering. Being a believer, having faith in God, having a relationship with God, being someone that is a a person after God's own heart, being blessed by God, all the wonderful things God may have done for you, is doing for you, will do for you. You You may have great faith. You may be growing spiritually. That does not keep you from great tragedy and suffering. All right? It, it, It does not keep you from it. I, I I think that's what one of the things that was such detrimental to me in my spiritual life is I became a Christian. I thought everything was going to go wonderful. Became a Christian, boom, my situation in my home life got even worse. So I had to go live with a different family because it just got worse. And I mean, in fact, in some ways, my Christianity contributed to getting worse. Sometimes my own foolishness. Sometimes I was receiving really bad, 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 bad advice from the, the preacher at the time, but just everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. And then the next thing you know, uh, hey, you got to get to the hospital. There's my mom. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not good. And I, and I spent all night in a church begging and begging and begging and begging and begging and, ple- and pleading with God, pleading with God, pleading with God, pleading with God. Please, 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 please. She's dead. So I'm like, wait a minute. So being a Christian means my family falls apart. My mom's dead. This is wonderful. I'm so glad I became a Christian. This is just excellent. What a great thing. It's done absolutely nothing for me. That, that, that's, there was really a lot of bitterness and a lot of frustration. I'm like, what? So, so, so when I was out living in sin, I had a mom and dad. When I become a Christian, now I'm losing a parent. Okay, this, this, this is not the way I looked at it. But it's never been a guarantee. Hey, David, you may be a man after God's own heart. Well, guess what? City's been burned to the ground. Women, sons, and daughters, and then your two wives have been taken. And he wept. He, he's facing a dark time tragedy. We have to realize it's no guarantee. Nothing, there is no guarantee that you will not suffer as a believer, there's literally no guarantee, none. There, any, any idea like that, and I know many Christians will, and sad, some theologies will say, well, it's probably because you're in sin. Again, like Job's friends, well, you have to be in sin. I mean, why else would you be suffering? We live in a fallen world, and my Christianity is no guarantee that the pain and suffering and tragedy that occurs in this fallen world will not fall upon me. We're not protected from it. That's just that's just a fact. All right. So that's the first principle, or number fifteen for today, or you could call or number fifteen in the in the series. Number one for today. Now, how about number sixteen or number two, depending on how you're numbering this? Do you see another one? Do you see another one jumps out? And someone said, "Amen" to principle fifteen. Thank you. I I hope so. Um, 
I'm going, I'm going to say this. Great grief, great grief does not contradict having great faith. Great grief does not, or expressing great, you can put it this way, expressing expressing great grief does not contradict having great faith. All right, Gr- uh, expressing great grief does not uh, contradict, if I can, re- I'm going to rewrite this word, does not contradict having great faith. Sometimes people, when they see someone weeping and expressing great grief, like like a lament, oh my God, my God, why is it forsaking me? Where is God? I, I wish I was never even born. Why is this happening? I don't understand where God is. I don't understand why God would do this. As soon as sometimes someone says that, we were like, oh, you shh, shh, you can't say that. You can't say, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You got to make positive uh, confessions because if you're, you're saying negative things and if you say negative things, you're going to bring negative things into your life because our words create reality and all that just word of faith nonsense. No, great experience. Expressing great grief does not contradict great faith. Look at the words of Job. He says some strong things. I wish I was never born. Oh, I curse the day that I was born. Look at, let, let, let him, whenever you're going through horrible tragedy, go to the words of Job and just embrace those words of lament, of pain. He screams out that pain. It's unfiltered. It's uncensored. It is real and it is raw. You say what some of the th- you say some of the things Job say said in some, certain churches. They will look at you like, where is that person's faith? That person is pretty much an atheist. That person isn't a, a believer because Christians love to well condemn other people in times of great pain uh, instead of understanding pain sympathizing with pain, we always got to be there to correct it. You know, we always got to be there. Well, you shouldn't really say that. You really shouldn't say that. And you know, that's not true. And all of a sudden they want to become theologians. It's like, just get out of my faith or get out of my faith. Yeah. Get out of my faith. Get out of my face. Get out of my life is what you want to say, but just get out of everything. Just leave me alone. Just go sit over there and be silent. Expressing of great grief does not contradict having great faith. I think the greater the faith, the greater you can express your grief. People get worried about that. I don't understand why. It, it just, it's, it just, Christians get nervous when they hear people express great, great pain and great grief. And make sure we understand, my words don't create reality, okay? A, a negative confession, oh, I, I can't stand that. Where if you say something negative, you're going to bring neg- negativity into your life. I, I worked with people who, who would hold that. And so I would make some joke, uh, like every time I got ready to go to lunch, I'm like, well, I'm going to go probably get in a, a car accident. Probably won't be back. I'll probably die today. Or I'm going to get hit by a car. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. I'm like, do you think literally me saying that's going to make it happen? Do you think I have the words to create reality? Do you really think that? D- do you? Because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Okay. I'm not God. Okay. I don't create reality. All right. Ugh, just ridiculous things. I know I'm going to get the, you know, the power of life and death is in the, is in the tongue. Okay. Yeah, can we, can we at least try to understand that that doesn't mean I create reality, but um, we, expressing great grief does not contradict having great faith. I think they they express their their grief here dramatically. I mean, when this says they wept, and in fact we're here. The the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. We have no more power to weep. That's expression of great grief. And some would be like, "Oh, you 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 need to respond with faith and you need let me respond with grief." Because that's what's natural. Now, hopefully your grief will give way to faith, which I think we're going to see in this text, but let's continue. All right, so let's go back. We must never think that our relationship and faith in God keeps us from tragedy and suffering. 
expressing great grief does not contradict having great faith. All right, and 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 you'll see if you don't believe that, you'll you'll see in a, in a minute. You'll, you'll you'll see where that comes in. All right. Now let's go to the next verse here. All right. Uh, David had David's two wives were taken captive. Ahinoam, Ahinoam. Why do I want to say H A M there? Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. All right. How do I want to word this principle? We have to, how do we, how do we want to state this principle? How do we want to state this principle? I'm thinking this through. I'm thinking this through here. Remember, I'm doing this in real time. So you got to work with me here. You got to see if I, if I was doing this in real time with the congregation, I would say, well, what do you think? And then while everyone else there was trying to process it, then I could be sitting there processing it in my mind without having to continue to talk. I could give that little moment of silence and then I could, but here I'm live on the air. So I have to keep talking. So while I'm talking, I'm thinking about something totally different. So I'm not even thinking about the words. You get the idea. Okay. But this one I think is important, right? The people decide we're going to kill David. I think we have to, in times, see, in times of great pain, beware of, of, hang on, beware of casting blame where casting blame where it doesn't belong. In times of great pain, beware of casting blame where it doesn't belong. They want to kill David. They want to kill David. They blame him. We have a tendency when great pain and tragedy, we, 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 we want, we got to have someone to blame. We, we've got to have someone. Someone's got to be the scapegoat. Someone's got to get the finger pointed. Someone, someone's got to, someone, someone, someone. Now, from a theological perspective, from a theological perspective, as believers, sometimes the last place we're willing to look to is into the face of God. Right? We want to find there's got to be blame somewhere else. But sometimes I think we cast our blame maybe where it doesn't actually belong. I'm not saying, listen, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that people are, are not responsible for their evil acts. Please hear me out. I'm not saying that. All right. I'm not in any way diminishing responsibility of what people do. I'm not saying that. Judas was responsible for the evil he did. However, we also know that what Judas did, wasn't it foreordained by God? I know that the, the death of Christ was preordained and foreordained, but yet the men who crucified him, they are held responsible. So I'm not saying that there isn't any responsibility, but from a theological perspective, ultimately, where does everything go back to? Remember, I've stated it a million times. My problem with the Bible started in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason it started there is because I knew what came after. Because I looked at the world that I lived in. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait. No, no, don't do that. Don't do it. Now, you may have had a great life and you never do this. But as soon as I read, in the beginning, God created, I'm like, well, why would you have done that? Because didn't you realize where I was going to end up in your story? Didn't you realize the things I was going to go through, the abuse and all of the cra- and all the horrible things that happened in my family? Are you could you, why, why would you do that? Why would you create? Why, why, why would you do that? And then to realize that, wait, not only did he create, he created the very being who was going to come into the garden to tempt the woman. He could have, he didn't have to create Satan. And even if he created Satan, once Satan fell, he could have kept him out of the garden. And once he came into the garden, he could have, he could have then, once Eve fell, he could have killed Eve, could have killed Adam, and could have just stopped it all. 
Now you say, well, if he, if he, and I know people always say, well, if he would have stopped it all, you would have never been born. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here thinking about why was I ever born? Because I would never would have had to experience it. And why would I be so, so egotistical to think, well, I would have never been born. No. You know how many people would have never suffered and died and how many people would not be in hell? Yeah, so so I have major issues. I have major issues with it. But we always want to find someone to blame. We always want to find someone to blame. We, we, we feel, and, and for Christians, we, we always want to get God off the hook and we want to put someone else on the hook. Hey, forget, I'm going to leave God out of this. Hey, they don't look to God. They're like, David, David. We see this with uh, Israel. Whenever they get in the wilderness and they're, 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 there's no food or water, kill Moses. Moses, Moses is to blame. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, God's the one leading you. It's God. It's not Moses. It's God. It's, be mad at God. No, 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 no. We're going to blame someone because we. how dare us blame God? Sometimes our issue is with God and we look for someone else to blame. Now, I'm not saying other people don't bear responsibility. I am not in any way negating other people's responsibility. I just think that sometimes we look for people to blame. We look to, for people to blame for our own mistakes. We look for people to blame for what God has ordained. We are always looking for someone to blame. And I think we have, in times of great pain, we really start looking for someone to blame. We really start looking for someone to blame. All right. Number 18. Let's go back to the text. All right, every, so uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Mm. And now I'm just going to be honest. A lot of people go, ooh, that preach is so good. I struggle with this. But this is, this is the philosophical paradox. This is the philosophical trouble. This is the philosophical struggle of Christianity. This is the million-dollar question. How can I encourage myself in the very God who knew it was going to happen, did not intervene to stop it from happening, allowed it to happen, go so far you could say ordained it to happen, was a part of his divine providence. How can I encourage myself in the very God who clearly was involved somehow in the situation to some level? It's very difficult to have an easy answer here. What I say with this Our great, I'm going to say, our great grief must ultimately lead us to our great God. I'm not saying it, it's going to resolve. Listen, he encourages himself in the Lord. I don't. It's hard for me to wrap my, again, when I was a young Christian, I'd be like, oh, that is so beautiful. Whenever things are difficult, encourage myself in God. The only problem is at some point in my life, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm encouraging myself in the very God who could have prevented, could have stopped. I mean, especially when you're in first Samuel, I mean, look at all the things God had done. Look at all the miraculous things that happened from Genesis to, I mean, for, for crying out loud, he wiped two city, he wiped Sodom and Gomorrah off the face of the earth in a supernatural way. He flooded the whole world in Genesis 6. He parted the Red Sea and did great plagues in Exodus. Look, look, uh, and, and just look at the numbers. He, he miraculously fed people in Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, just go through it. The miraculous uh, conquering of cities in, in Joshua, the things that happened in Judges. I mean, you just, you just 
go through that. I mean, uh, Judges comes right before, and, and then and then you're in First Samuel. Even look at the things that happen in First Samuel. Look at even the things that happen in First Samuel, and then you get to chapter thirty. Like, well, city's been burned down, people have been taken captive. Well, where is God? Sometimes your great grief just has to lead you to the great God, and you just have to say, okay, God, your way, your will. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but you're God. I like so our great grief it sometimes have to lead us to our great God. And it doesn't mean it leads us to our great God and you're going to have answers and you're going to have explanations and you're going to have reasons. I wish it would make sense. I wish you, that's one of the bizarre things in the Bible. Sometimes the very people who've seen God do miraculous things find themselves in a situation where God did nothing miraculous. He didn't step in. He, did, he didn't do anything miraculous to stop it. Now, you can see what happens in First, in first Samuel 30, if you go to 1 Samuel 30, all right, uh, David uh, goes to the, the uh, uh, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, uh, uh, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod, and uh, Abiathar uh, brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So God is is giving divine revelation. Well, why didn't God give divine revelation to stop this from happening in the first place? These are the kinds of questions that I think any good, reasonable Bible student would like. It doesn't make any sense. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook of Besor, which, uh, where those that were left behind stayed, but David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and did eat. They made him drink water. You go and then look at verse 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad, uh, abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. David smote them from the twilight, even unto the evening of the next day, and, th- and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that... Uh, the uh, Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken them. David recovered all. Now everybody says, see, God sometimes steps in and recovers all, but it doesn't always work that way. You're painfully aware of that. Your parent doesn't get better. Your parent dies. Your child doesn't get better. It dies. Your child suffers or or this falls apart or or your per- people won't forgive you. Whatever the case may be, sometimes it doesn't all work out that way. But all you can do is your grief has to lead you to encourage yourself in God. And you say, what, how am I encouraging myself in God? God is still God. God is still holy. God is still sovereign. God is still showing mercy and grace to you. You just... You just encourage yourself in who God is, what, what, no matter how he may work or not work in your behalf in a particular situation. I wish it was different. But there you have it. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6. I would love to get your thoughts on, on the whole concept. You can let me know. I'm going to go back through these. Number one. Uh, we are number 15, depending on how you're counting. We must never think our relationship and faith in God keeps us from great tragedy and suffering. I hope someone's been writing all of these down because I'll never be able to go back and uh, read my handwriting on these ever again. Expressing great grief does not contradict having great faith. In times of great pain, beware of casting blame where it doesn't belong. And lastly, our great, our great grief must ultimately lead us to our great God. Now, according to the principle Charles Stanley says, is, hey, dark moments of our life will last only so long as it is necessary for God to accomplish his purpose. So what was his purpose in allowing this to happen? I mean, is, is that how it works? That you, you, you're, hey, you're going to suffer until God fulfills his purpose. I, I just... I think God has a purpose in everything. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I don't know if it's just like you suffer until his purpose is met. 
Well, even, even if I suffer into his purposes, Matt, that doesn't mean tomorrow he won't have a new purpose that requires more suffering. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. You, you can, you can, you can, you can throw that one around. You can debate that. You can struggle with it and you can tell me what you think. All right. We're at 50 minutes. Remember, I was trying to keep these close to 30, but, um, yeah, we may, we may, uh, we may work through this, this in, in the book one time. We may, I may just make it a separate sermon at some point. Um, if we get all the sound system at the church working again, maybe I can uh, preach it at church one time and just work through this again and, and maybe clean up some of these principles. But if you, if you have, take any of my principles and you reword them, that they sound better, more grammatically correct, then by all means share them. And again, anybody wants to, if you're keeping track of all of them, please post them in the Discord channel because I would like to see, hopefully, that they how, how you wrote them out because some of them, some of them I think uh, could be much more, could be uh, much better than I have presented them. All right. I'm going to stop there. I, I think it's moderately successful, maybe, maybe moderately successful. I think, okay, I'm going to make sure that there's no more comments showing up on the Spreaker app that I may be missing because every time I close it out, then there's all these messages. And I'm like, how did I miss that message? Because it didn't show up. So, all right. Okay, good. No more messages. All right. Either that's good or people were like, well, never listening to that guy again. That was garbage. Okay, that's a possibility. But I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just be open and honest with some of these issues. And hopefully it's been beneficial. So whether this was successful, moderately successful, or a great failure, Let's end with one really great epic music, all right? Our intro and our outro. Thanks for listening to Day 7 and our 30 days, 30 scriptures and 30 days journey. And uh, well, tomorrow we'll pick up Day 8, all right? Thanks for listening.